0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with veteran jazz pianist, keyboardist, and composer, Russell Ferrante. He opened up with us about his latest 2021 CD, Inflection, with his trio and a wonderful existence in the world of jazz. He was born in San Jose, California, and started playing the piano at the age of nine. His early musical experiences revolved around the church where his father was the choir director. He moved to San Francisco in 1975 where he continued to be active on a very vibrant local music scene and he landed his first teaching job at the Community Music Center in the Mission District. And to this very day, he continues his grand 40-year association with the Yellow Jackets and he's also performing and conducting clinics around the world. Enjoy his story. Good to speak with you.
1: Hey, good to speak with you. I think I caught you with the Yellow Jackets a few years ago at the Folly. Here in
2: okay, City. yes, we've played there a few times. Great venue.
1: Man, that seems like a million, million years ago, doesn't it?
2: Yes, it, oh. it does.
1: I appreciate you taking a minute out. Yes, yes, thanks. You bet. And then, So I want to talk to you about your new trio album, Inflection. It, it, it's a wonderful album. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, it's coming out during the pandemic. Did you have any thoughts on the timing of this coming out?
2: You know, it just, it happened to... To coincide um, with this period of time, it was actually recorded over, I want to say, like more than a year's time, but off and on. And then it was languishing. (laughs) And I think it was just the very beginning of the year that the drummer, Steve Schaefer, whose studio we recorded at, said, you know, we really should finish this thing off. And he was very much the driving force but. behind us actually completing the project. So in the beginning of January, we booked a couple of days and finished recording everything and mixing. And then um, I believe I had... No, actually it was the end of January of, of 2020, we finished. So it's it's been like... Uh, it, it took about a year for it to arrive. You, you know, after mixing, uh, some period of time went by. We were trying to figure out, should we put it with a record company or put it out ourselves? And then actually, do you know Jim Hasluck? I know the name, yes. Yes, he was the bassist in Yellow Jackets for many years and a wonderful friend. He's He has worked quite a bit with uh, Joseph, who is the owner of Blue Canoe, and he suggested, why don't you you uh, approach him about putting it out. And and that's what we did. And then it takes a few more months for the wheels to turn and get the artwork done and mastering and all the rest. But that's the long answer to your question. It, it was really in the pipeline for quite a, uh, a while before COVID hit. But the one thing that's kind of interesting in terms of the title of the recording and, and, Some of the artwork and so forth that took place during 2020. I kept hearing inflection point. You know, everyone was saying, you know, that the pandemic had really created this reckoning and things were, were going to change from this point forward. And I, I, I was curious about the deeper meaning of the word inflection point. And I found that it means to change direction or to bend in. And I thought that the music had a more introspective quality and it also was definitely a change of direction from music of Yellow Jackets, which if anyone knows my name, it's probably through um, being in Yellow Jackets. So it seemed an appropriate um, title. And And then My Neighbor is an artist, a really fine artist and a musician also and he and he had this I told him the title and he had volunteered to create a, some cover art and he created this beautiful piece that uh based on the title and it it seemed to work really well so all the pieces kind of came came together you know in kind of mid 2020
1: yeah that that piece is wonderful it has some some Picasso feelings to it yeah really cool yeah. Yeah. yeah it's totally cool so it seems like you guys have a really good fluid comfortable conversation as a trio um how do you feel I mean obviously you know it's a high quality recording and you wouldn't have put it out if you didn't feel like that was the case but how do you ultimately feel now that you can sit back you know we're going through this time maybe things are getting a little better maybe you can see live shows how are you feeling now
2: I know the other. All of us are anxious to play again, of course. And prior to this, uh, the release of this recording, we played a few gigs a year. Uh, uh, Both Steve and Michael live locally, and they're really busy. Uh, They're pretty in-demand studio musicians, but we we have a few kind of regular gigs. One at a church and. Um, There's an arts festival uh, down here that we've played several times. So we've been playing, but, you know, it's always been a little bit of a sideline because I'm traveling with Yellow Jackets and I teach at USC also. And then Steve and Michael have really busy studio musician careers. So this has always been something that we did just for the love of it and we never aggressively, you know, tried really beat the bushes for gigs and so forth but i know we would like to uh, do more playing now as a trio maybe a little tour somewhere uh, and um but again we're not aggressively going after that it's 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 been an interesting process just to see how the music was received and it's been gratifying to see that it's been getting some airplay on jazz radio stations and kind of climbing up the jazz charts. I I think we started at 300 and, you know, we've made it into the 20s now. I think we made it into the teens. Uh, We'll see. And I I don't know what the prospects of playing live. If there's there's some demand and interest, we would love to do that.
1: So let's dig into a little bit of your life. You're from San Jose originally. You started playing piano at 9. Talk to me a little bit about your childhood and some of the influences that got you into jazz.
2: Yeah. Well, I started um my my early musical exposure was all through church. My dad was a choir director at the church we attended. And my my mom played uh piano and she also played violin, just you know, she had played in school. She wasn't a professional musician, um, but she was very musically inclined. My dad was a singer, and he he was in a gospel um, quartet, and he directed the choir, and he was the soloist. You know, he sang at umpteen weddings and funerals and various uh, church events. So I always heard music uh, growing up, and around age nine, my folks decided to give both my sister and I piano lessons. And I studied just classical piano for about eight years. And toward the end of that time, I was introduced to jazz music through friends at school and was bitten by the bug, so to speak, and started um, really pursuing learning about jazz music. I would take a few lessons with different musicians in the in the bay area up in san francisco and in san jose and then get books on my own and listen to recordings and am basically self-taught when it comes to jazz music i i never studied in any kind of academic setting um but there there was a lot of um musical activity in the bay area uh, some really fine musicians, a lot of um kind of r and b oriented music, blues and jazz, and my first real professional gig was with the blues singer Jimmy witherspoon, and that was through guitarist Robin Ford, who was the person who later assembled the original members of the yellow jackets so i i I was going to San Jose state kind of i would do a couple semesters, drop out, get a gig, play, go back to school, get another gig, leave. And I think I eventually finished like two and a half years of college. And by that time, um, I was playing pretty much full time. I moved to San Francisco and met a lot of wonderful musicians up there and had continued my um, friendship and uh, musical relationship with Robin Ford, who had. Uh, moved to Los Angeles and was uh, he had gotten a record contract and was touring with well-known people so I came down to work with Robin and that's when I met the other members of the Yellow Jackets Jimmy Haslip uh, Ricky Lawson our original drummer and that was the late 1970s around 1978 you know from that point on you know Music, like almost every other uh, occupation, relies on uh, relationships, word of mouth, friendships, recommendations. And I was here in Los Angeles and it it was a really um, very... There was a lot of vitality in the music scene, especially then, you know, um, before people had home studios and didn't need other musicians, you know. You would... um, get an opportunity to meet all kinds of people doing demo tracks for various people. And it was a really fun, uh, invigorating time. Talk
1: to me a little bit about the very first live show you saw that made you think that's
2: something I would like to do with my life. Mm, That's a good. All right. So let me think back to that. Hmm. Well, I remember uh, in high school, I don't know that this made me want to be a musician, but but it, it had a really big impact on me. I saw um, a double bill of Jimi Hendrix and Chicago at, I think it was the Oakland Coliseum. And I just remember, you know, whatever, how many tens of thousands of people packed into this huge arena. That was kind of overwhelming. But in terms of jazz music, you know what it was it and it wasn't probably anything anyone would know but there was a local musician in san jose and his name was was clifford coulter and he's still alive and he actually made a couple records uh, on Impul on the impulse label, label i think in the late 60s but he was an organist and a pianist and an incredible musician um And I would go with other friends to see Clifford playing around town, you know, little restaurants and bars and stuff. And that... He was a really inspiring um, musician to me. And that was one of the... Definitely one of the catalysts for my interest in music. And then also... um, Around that same time, I first saw Robin Ford play, and that was at a little pizza parlor in San Jose, and he was playing, um, he had a blues band, but he would play traditional blues, and then he would pick up alto sax and play Coltrane and Archie Shep and (laughs) Barnett Coleman tunes on alto, and that blew me away, and that was... um, that was something that really inspired me. So those two people, I would say, Robin and Clifford Coulter. Why do you love jazz? It's like I, I, I figured, or I've thought about it. I think it's like a calling, you know, It's because when I first heard the music, I didn't intellectually or analytically know anything about it, what it was. But just the sound of it intrigued me and appealed to me. It was a real sort of a natural response I had to the music. I think one aspect that I did love and had a great affection for was, you know, the more groove-oriented and blues-oriented part of the music. And I think maybe that was from hearing, like, spirituals as a young kid, hear- hearing that music and being very drawn to that. After, I think just I was intrigued by the harmony and the, um, just the freedom of the music. The, the first recordings I heard, like jazz recordings, were, um, well, the first one was, um, live at the, uh, Les McCann and Eddie Harris live at Montreux Jazz Festival. And there was some really well known tunes compared to what and, um, uh, cold Duck Time, these kind of R&B, sort of gospely, funky pieces, and then at the same time, I was listening to Coltrane's My Favorite Things, and then I, I got a recording, it was kind of a Miles Davis' greatest hits, uh, a lot of stuff uh, around uh, My Funny Valentine and Four and More, that era of Miles Davis, and... I mean, I had no idea what that was, but I just loved the way it sounded, and it, I couldn't—I I can't tell you why, but it just—I—I I, I was drawn to it.
1: As we kind of get reflective here on your life, if you have a dream tonight and you run into your younger self r- around the time you were becoming a professional, and you could give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be?
2: I think it would have been to uh, to study music in school and um study like the the classical literature, orchestration, conducting, um, you know, c- composition. Um the those things um are really difficult to learn on your own and I've managed to piece together some amount of information to to allow me to have done some of those things, but I wish I had Studied in school and really had a solid foundation in like the classical, the classical literature, and you know, being able to conduct an orchestra, being able to look at a music score and hear it in my head. Those really deep uh, skills that uh, take years to cultivate and experience. So that's I would I would have urged myself to stay in school and just at the time I as a young person I just thought well I want to be a jazz pianist why do I need all this other information but uh, when you're young you maybe can't anticipate what opportunities will come your way and what you're going to need to know if if I could go back and redo it that's I would have made some different decisions around that
1: when we do return to live music when things kind of start opening up and getting back what do you hope we all realize about the power of live music
2: well i think we'll appreciate you know i mean the obvious just the c- connection with one another and sort of the um you know the fellowship or the being able to share that feeling with others I mean I I know I speak for a lot of musicians that and probably in music fans too that miss that kind of energy and excitement that you have at a live concert cuz it because it is an exchange between you know the musicians on stage they're communicating with one another but they're being fed by the audience and this big circle of energy is created and I certainly miss that and I think people will really, uh, I think people are craving that. And also, you know, another aspect of playing music, at least for for the, the Yellow Jackets and other situations I've been in, we always make a point to make ourselves available after the shows to meet people in the audience. If they have CDs that they want signed or they maybe have a story about the music, what what the music has meant to them, I mean we've heard some incredible things through the years, and just being able to make that personal connection with the people that appreciate the music is is really um uh, uh it's valuable and poignant and uh i i I miss that and am really looking forward. To uh, experiencing that again so everyone has a perception
1: of you your family your friends your fans But you're the one that's living your life who do you think you are
2: (laughs) i think um i guess maybe first and foremost probably my identity is as a musician but um my priorities are my family my wife my daughter my grandchild uh my sister and her family—that's a really important thing to me. I've been married over forty years now. We're, in fact, we're getting ready right now, my wife and I, to take a cross-country trip. We'll be driving to Boston, where my daughter and her family live, and we haven't seen them, you know, in over a year. So we're really looking forward to that. So that's, you know, a big part of my identity—a family person. But also a musician and a teacher. I've been teaching at USC for 22 years now. And um, I really value the opportunity to work with young musicians and hear what they're into and um, just offer some help and guidance. So that's another part of my identity. And then, of course, well, we all are citizens, right? We have a responsibility to our communities and our neighborhoods. I try to, you know, to um, live up to that standard as well, active, you know, trying to help out other people in our communities. So all of those things. Beautiful, man. Hey,
1: thank you for taking some time out to talk to me on Jazz today. I really appreciate it. Good luck with
2: the album and the return to the stage. All right. Thanks so much, Joe. Good luck to you as well.
0: Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in San Francisco, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Russell for his time, music, and story. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com and for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the NeonJazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends.
2: Beyond jazz.